welcome to episode 77 of Friends in Film, a podcast Gus Lace Movie News and Theatrical Releases. On this episode, we'll cover Han Solo, Han Solo, and more Han Solo after we review Transformers Last Night. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searches at Friends in Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man who has finally seen a Transformers movie, Josh Straley. And I want to take it all back, dude. Ugh. It was not a good first experience? Uh, no, it was. I mean... You were in the theater with me as I was. I was watching this. Could you gauge anything? I was, I was, I was, I was keeping my eye on you a little bit, but also I was like, I still have to try to figure out what <laughs> is happening on sure. screen. Uh, it was a difficult task, but you know, we got through it. That's what we're reviewing this week: Transformers, The Last Night. Uh, we will get into spoilers eventually, uh, and when we do, there will be a timestamp in the description of this episode, so you can skip ahead to that. Uh, and then we'll get to the news because there's you know a pretty big story to talk about, as mm. you guessed from the intro. Han Solo had a little bit of trouble this week, um, but we are going to get to Transformers Five first off, and it's your first Transformers movie, Josh. So kick us off. What did you think? And, uh, I mean, if I didn't know what these movies did at the box office on average, I would just be blown away that any movie like this could get a sequel uh, because like all the pyrotechnics and the CGI and the stunts is cinematic perfection. Like it's, it's incredibly well done. Like if you were rating all of that on a technical scale, I would say 10 out of 10, you right. know, or five out of five, whatever the case is. But like as a movie, like as why I go to the theater, this was, so bogus mm-hmm. uh everything by the end of the film everything that had just happened the near destruction of earth was treated like this new dawn of hope type deal mm-hmm. and like there was this you know lofty monologue by um one of the transformers and it's like is that really the thing you should be saying right now half of mm-hmm. humanity almost died uh so i just can't i just didn't understand that um, uh, but as like, you know, why I thought it was a train wreck, um, the story has, is in service of creating more sequels mm-hmm. and it, it is apparent because, um, we very early on are shown all of these different timelines and places that transformers have been throughout our history. And while I thought that may have been cool, they used it, you know, to service, uh, you know, a a thousand more sequels. And by the time, uh, the only bright spot of the movie, Sir Anthony Hopkins is, uh, you know, on screen, he's just, he is, he is saying the most ridiculous things. And like, I'm a star Wars fan and they objectively say some weird stuff in that too, you know, and try to make it sound natural, but he's, he's going through the epic history of the transformers and, I was just like, okay, man, let's, let's just let's just get on to more explosions and destruction because this 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 plot, you know, that I was so interested in and so wanted to be good is terrible. So let's just let's just get back to the mm-hmm. the bombs and the the tactical <laughs> nuclear strikes and you know whatever else there is. Um, Mark Wahlberg and the, as for like the whole cast, Isabella Moner did a great job. Uh, but she was just in a terrible movie. Hopefully she finds, you know, a lot of work sooner, uh, you know, later on because they have her show up, be cool. And then like this really random, like emotional scene, like where she just Mm -hmm. like loses it all. And then next thing you know, she's like kicking serious butt. Uh, and then her sidekick squeaker, he was cute, but squeaks, squeaks. Yes. But, but his whole point in the movie 
was nothing other than just showing up and then like trying to give some like cheap laugh line at the end of the film. So that was dumb. Um, Wahlberg does a good job as his female co-lead, Sophia Miles. Is that right? Yes. Uh, Mark Wahlberg's yeah. female? Uh, it's Laura Haddock. Laura Haddock. Okay, yeah. She does a good job. But there's this sexual tension thing that they try to like build into the movie as a joke. And it comes across as just like completely sexist. And, it, yeah. you know, like, and, and that's saying something for movies today. And I was like, you really had to try hard to do that. Um, and let's, man, what else is there? The movie is two hours and 35 minutes long. And this is one of the shorter ones of allegedly. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's the second shortest. And if you're going to have a movie that's that long, it needs to have a reason to be that long. Multiple times. I, I, I just felt exhausted when I realized, you know, that we weren't even halfway through it yet. And when I thought we were building to the conclusion, there was another conclusion yep. to go build to. It, not just like a, oh, actually we have to fight this guy. It was another entire planning sequence and combat. And then, you know, uh, just, it ruined me. Like I, I wanted out of that theater so bad. And fi- I mean, so finally I was. <laughs> um, but I'll stop you know, trashing it and we can talk spoilers later, but my ticket sub rating would be two out of five. Okay. Uh, it's, it, it was well done. It looked like it was the star Wars episode seven of transformers movies, mm-hmm. but in terms of plot, you know, and characters and just everything else. Ooh, yeah. Terrible. <laughs> you know, if this was, if, uh, this review came out beforehand and uh, before, before it hit theaters and everything, mm-hmm. I'm sure, that Paramount would just pull that little, that little, little itty bitty section to say it's the Star Wars Seven Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, "Wow, Josh Straley loved this movie." Uh, oh, that's not it. It's not at all. Blurbs from reviews. Yes, it's it's always hilarious to see. Like you know, you can read someone totally savage a, re- a movie, and then they'll use like one part of the yeah. screen where it's or like they'll just say like exciting or dot, like dot, 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 or like movie. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you're just pulling stuff. Or like when they pull. Twitter reactions from just like fans because like nobody else is liking it. So like, okay, yes. we have to pull reviews from these really hardcore Transformers fans or the one positive review and just right. have six blurbs all from mm-hmm. this one same review. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much right there with you. Uh, I think you can sum it up by just saying it's a big, beautiful mess. Uh, that's what these movies have kind of turned into uh, after the first one. Uh, I, I still think three is redeemable for most of it. And uh, four... Is not good, but I still think it's better than this one because it has a lot of Transformers. I think Mark Wahlberg's pretty good in four, uh, and you, there's also Dinobots, which is cool. It's it's way it's way too long, but this one felt even longer in some cases because it, like you mentioned, Anthony Hopkins. Once you get to his castle, like that movie just slows down so much. And it's just like, he's trying to be funny. Mark Wahlberg's trying to be funny. Laura Haddock is trying to be funny. And then his butler robot is trying to be really funny with like his musical overtures. I was like, Mm -hmm. this is not working. (laughs) And then singing the, Uh, yeah, it it was, it was not, not what it should have been. And uh, just to go back to, I think, I mean, this is what Michael Bay has kind of turned this franchise into. He knows how to make it look good. No matter what is on screen, it looks good. Uh, you can say that for pretty much every single shot. It's framed well. The CGI looks great. Uh, 
he just i mean the color palette everything everything works in the yeah. shots but it's what is happening in those shots that ultimately uh is hurting the film what is said specifically i think the dialogue in here is pretty pretty bad um like the cgi stuff looks looks really good as well so like another like hats off to michael bay for getting that done well but like the story is just i don't even know what was i didn't i didn't know what was happening by the end of the movie because i was like okay you guys have never met but you're working together how did how does this work why did you come here uh what side are you on it's just like wait you should be not here f- for any reason yes uh, but you are because you know we just have to give you know somebody some sort of cool moment so they can be like oh yeah i, I remember that mm-hmm. and it, it, it nothing nothing worked uh i think isabella monair did fine in her role but her character is useless you could remove her from this movie and nothing changes yeah and i think the third act even gets a slight (laughs) increase because she is shoehorned in there at random you're like kid you should not be anywhere near what is happening right now uh i've never felt like in a transformers movie that the transformers have been less important we don't see much of them uh and when we do they are pretty useless uh megatron has his own like suicide squad that is super (laughs) annoying i wanted to kill every single one of them uh optimus prime may not have well even been in this movie i i would not have known he is totally sidelined and it makes absolutely no sense it's marketed it as like the optimus prime baddie oh yeah adventure you've been waiting for yeah he's like he's like a bad guy for like maybe three minutes on screen yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> and then, absolutely. Then, he, then he turns. His turn is so so corny. I think I actually laughed audibly in the theater when it happened. Uh, you did. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, like I said, I liked him in four, but this one he just felt like a cartoon of himself, similar to how in the second movie I felt like Shia LaBeouf was just a cartoon of Sam Witwicky. He is Mark Wahlberg just wants to say, "I'm an inventor. I have patents pending. Uh, I'm going to have this. You know, um, what is it?" like this uh, medallion talisman thing, like climbing yeah. around on my arm, going down my pants. I'm going to have like this like romantic <sighs> subplot with Laura Haddock that is totally forced. And she is like the like most stereotypical girl for like Michael Bay's movies because in all the previous Transformers movies, he has just made all of his female leads about just like, hey, look how hot this chick is. But this one, he's like, okay, I know. You guys want a you guys want a smart girl. So here's a philosopher, doctor, yeah. <laughs> teacher, all this stuff. But she's still gonna wear a skin tight dress and high heels, low cut low cut dress, everything, and still, you know, have this like really goofy like fake sex scene with Mark Wahlberg, and then like you're still gonna have the big kiss at the end. They're gonna fall in love, and you're like, just stop. Or it was the the part where it was just like Mark Wahlberg. Oh, you're single. And like they say it like prominently yeah. in the beginning of the movie, and then part of her whole story is, oh, her, her all of her like, you know mother and all their friends are like, why are you single? You need to find somebody. Yeah. And then finally, when they show up, it's just like, oh, it's a, yeah. a major eye and like, roll. That's the thing. Like all a lot of these movies just have like those random like <laughs> like sub sub plots with like Laura Haddock's character's mother, mm-hmm. uh, or like John Toretto's character, or. Uh, you know, a lot of other random stuff. Um, I thought An- you liked Anthony Hopkins. I thought he was just so weird. Um, 
his his dialogue was terrible. I get he may have camped it up because he's like this movie is going to be terrible anyway, so I might as well have some fun with it. Um, and it was somewhat fun, but it was also like I can't take anything you are saying seriously, and you're trying to give like heavy exposition about yeah, okay, <laughs> this long history that Transformers all of a sudden have on Earth. Um, I the action I don't think is very memorable. Like normally Transformers movies have this one moment where I'm like. I'll re- I'll remember that scene. Uh, the Optimus Bumblebee fight is decent, but nowhere near as other cool action stuff they've done in the past. I think maybe the best sequence is actually opening with the uh, with King Arthur and the knights and everything. That yeah. was where I was like, you know, if Michael Bay wanted to do this big epic war movie, I would much rather see him do that than more of these movies. Which is thankfully why. I hope that he's actually going to stay true to his word and not come back uh, to this franchise ever again. Still too long. Could have cut a lot of other that stuff out, like those random subplots. Uh, and then the big thing is that by the end of this movie, nothing has really changed from where things began other than Optimus is on Earth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's really that's right. really it. Uh, it, it, it. It just like it was just frustrating uh, because you're like, okay, if I... At least if I would have sat through two and a half hours and something would have changed. I think it does lay some very interesting questions for this franchise to explain moving forward. But yeah. uh, I'm just ready for somebody else other than you know Michael Bay to direct these movies. If he comes back for a sixth one, I will be very, very unexcited for it. Um, I'm going to give it uh, one and a half ticket stubs out oh, of five. Okay. Well, maybe I was a little bit starstruck then. <laughs> well, actually, I actually changed it while you were talking. So I was like, I'm just looking at my notes, hearing you talk, reflecting on the movie. And sure. Because I was, like, I, I was going to give it a two. And I was like, no, it, it, it is not, it I is can, not worthy yeah. of a two. I confirmed some biases. Uh, well, I don't know what you, what do you consider spoilers here? Um, what's. It, let's just move right into it. We're going right. to move into spoilers. So we can just talk about it because there's a lot of just bizarre things that happen in this movie uh, that we should talk about. So spoiler warning last time for Transformers last night. Um, if you want to avoid it, there'll be a timestamp description, skip ahead to the news. Here's talk about Han Solo and everything, but if you're still with us. Uh, what do you, what do you want to kick it off with? Uh, well, I, well, first of all, I'm going to push back real quick on okay. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Okay. The, the dude is 80 years old, mm-hmm. speaking in the most distinguished accent that, on the planet right now, maybe, you know, rivaled by uh, Gandalf, whose name is mm-hmm. Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen yeah. Okay. And, you know, he just looked like he was having a ton of fun in the movie. Uh, saying what he was saying, doing what he was doing, especially when he starts blasting up Decepticons before getting obliterated himself. Which that was, was so weird. It was so weird. <laughs> it was like 10 seconds of like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Here we go. Because he pulls some blaster out of his cane after yeah. just like, you know, like it was like the grandma on crutches mm-hmm. and then like whips out like a bazooka type of a yeah. feel. And it was, I thought it was awesome. But then like, um, I thought it was weird. They, they ended up, they show him get a blown up basically. And then they had to cut back to the butler going there. Yeah. <laughs> like, Sir, are you okay? Clearly not. It's like, you're like, if you never went back. We all know he's dead. It was, it was funny too, because it looked like he dies in this, in the final shot of him. Mm-hmm. And then when they bring the butler back around, it's like he'd re- been resuscitated. Right. <laughs> Which is dumb. Um, but like, okay, so Cybertron turns out to be, or Unicron turns out turns to be, out to be Earth. Turns out to be Earth, and Cybertron and Unicron are supposed to war with each other. So it's supposed to be yeah. humans versus 
Autobots? Well, like that's that was the interesting question I thought this movie posed is Transformers now outdate humanity, which if if Unicron is the foundation of Earth and basically lives inside of Earth, then who created humans? We're in like this Prometheus alien yeah. covenant territory of like where did humanity come from? I don't know if Transformers is going to have the ability to answer those questions, but that is certainly one thing they they raised because Quintessa is like the villain of this movie. She is just, I have no idea where her purpose is. Um, and then she's still around at the very end, which is just yeah. stupid. Um, but she says she created the Transformers. I don't know if that's actually accurate or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard people say that's not based on just, you know, the comics and all the other animated stuff that's gone before with Transformers they could totally change that up for the movie. So I don't know whether or not that's actually going to remain the same, but you know, did she create humanity? Did somebody else create humanity? What, how, how did humanity get into this and how did Unicron become earth? Like, yeah, it just, it makes no sense. And then like, I have a, then there was this like Merlin's staff is hidden in the bottom of like the ocean. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's, that seems to be the, the piece that everyone's after the MacGuffin, like get Merlin's staff and you can save humanity or destroy it, whichever mm-hmm. you'd like. And for some reason the, the submarine just like launches into the wa- water and it doesn't look like it's doing anything impossible. So it begs the question, there's this giant structure that's just right. sitting, you know, in the, in the, Bay of England, or the in, in the right. English Channel, rather, and no one's Nobody's seen, seen it? it. Yeah, and it's just like what? It must be part of like what the fifty or sixty percent of the ocean that's never been explored. Apparently, yeah, like no one thought to look just straight down in yeah. one of the most traversed uh, shipping lanes in all of Europe. Okay, yeah, that was that was really uh, dumb. Yeah, so that was weird. And then uh, you told me this afterwards, and I kind of knew it already, but you confirmed it. But Stanley Tucci's back in this movie, but he's a playing different character Merlin. Yeah, which. Okay. It was that was so weird though, because like, not only was, is he a different character than he was in the last movie, but you open with him, then he doesn't come back at all. Mm-hmm. Plus, Merlin's like this drunk guy, uh, which is very weird. And then he's like stumbling across Transformers, and how does how has nobody seen this <laughs> this yeah. clear alien ship just stuffed into a mountain before? Uh, it's just I don't I, I don't I don't get it. And, like, the other thing is, you could cut out the entire medieval section of this movie, plus the Nazi section, which is a totally shoehorned in, just mm-hmm. so they can try to tease, like, tease Bumblebee's spinoff movie. Uh, you could cut both those sections out, and, again, nothing changes, and you'd cut, you know, 15 minutes off this movie. Yeah. It, it was, it was like, the, was like, okay, this is Michael Bay's last movie. We're to stuff as much in as possible, mm-hmm. regardless of how, what the plot is. And then he'll be able to like say he's set up the rest of the universe. Right. Well, that's the, I don't I don't even know what the plot of this movie is necessarily. I mean, they open it up and humans are once again anti all Transformers for whatever reason because they haven't learned from the previous four times the Autobots have saved the Earth that these are actually good guys. Uh, they're against all Transformers. The Autobots being hunted. Megatron is hiding on Earth, and nobody has found him in the same section that they easily found these kids in. Uh, Megatron then makes a deal with the government to get his own Suicide Squad to hunt Cade Yeager, who's a fugitive, and try to find Bumblebee while Optimus is off in space, getting caught by Quintessa, getting yeah set back to his like factory settings, kind of. And, <laughs> yes. uh, 
then it's like Megatron versus Bumblebee. Then Optimus comes down. They find the staff. Megatron or Optimus flips back to the good side. Megatron makes a deal with Quintessa, who I don't think they've ever met before. But now they're on the same team mm-hmm. all of a sudden. And then it's this big epic third act, which is just insane. You have to chop off parts of the planet to win and then mark Wahlberg little talisman thing creates a sword out of nowhere and he's strong enough to stop a transformer sword it's just oh yeah like then by the again by the end of the movie nothing has changed yeah and other i mean other than cybertron almost ate earth but now it's they're connected and that's it and it's like yeah we can we just need to make this movie and set up all of our spinoffs so then we can make another movie and that is the biggest uh, uh, yeah yeah, it just, I, and that it was confirmed everything I thought about Transformers. Yeah, and like the Talisman Excalibur moment is the one I mentioned that that was the moment I laughed at because I was just like, "You can't! <laughs> how does how does that work? All of a sudden, he is just instantly worthy to you know wield the 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 Excalibur sword, and then he the sword is strong enough to stop a Transformer, and how is and then he's like part of this whole like family lineage of like the knights that are like the the Whitakins, i think is what they're they're called which are tied to like sam Whitwicky. uh yeah <laughs> it was, it was, like there's just so much bizarre stuff like the transformers are the ones that killed hitler they're involved with harriet tubman mm-hmm. uh like they're what it, like what happened in this movie and though don't forget they're at valley forge too and it's just uh like the secret history of Transformers seems to be like the history of the planet. And like, yeah. it's like the biggest, is it like the biggest open secret that no one talks about, you know, or whatever? I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's in the president's secret book. And yeah, maybe I, I, I was just, it, everything that people have said about the Transformers movies being all explosions and no plot seem to hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the first one allegedly is the one that Spielberg had most influence on. So a lot of people say that was good. It is a good movie. So I, maybe I need to go back to that and at least, um, you know, have my faith back into that Paramount at least believes in some kind of form right. of storytelling. <laughs> but wow. Uh, I was, I was at the same time, not disappointed, but extremely disgusted. So, you know, right. however you square those two, that is my Transformers experience. All right. So you have, you don't really have any interest on going back and finding more about more out about this whole timeline, everything. Well, listen, I think I said to be in, in to be consistent. I said that Haley Steinfeld in a Bumblebee movie. Now that I know to be set, back you know when they're trying to kill hitler well i think it's set in the 80s so it's set after that so okay again, which makes that flashback cold war maybe right. even that that'd be really cool i don't know what they would do or how they would do it but i, I would sign up for it <laughs> i that i am interested in you know the bumblebee movie because yes as Haley seinfeld it has bumblebee hopefully when he can actually talk which again when he he just like ra- like the that's one of like the big subplots of this entire franchise that Bumblebee cannot speak. And then they start off the movie and they're like, Oh, we're going to try to repair your voice box. But you know, okay, we have one in there, but it's not, it doesn't sound like your voice. So then Bumblebee like rips out, rips it out basically like rips out his throat. It looks like. Yeah. And then there's like randomly in the middle of the movie without no explanation. Bumblebee can just like speak perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's what snaps Optimus out of his like random brainwashing. I was like, that no, well, yeah. no, and it's like you've had evil Optimus for like five minutes at that point. Exactly. 
and there's one speaking one more thing in not voice and language i don't know who this movie is for yeah Be- it it was kind of the same thing with power rangers power rangers definitely leaned off of the pg-13 rating a little bit um but this takes its pg-13 rating and it runs with it like uh i think they say like they say uh the s word like a thousand times yeah and i was just like are, do parents not mind that anymore i mean right like what that the deal like is. they say that they say the b word like i mean they're they like that's the thing like i think i told you this like either before or after the movie i was like it just they each movie it seems like they just up the language or the the sexist or like the you know just the sex jokes or whatever it is because it's like oh that's edgy that's funny it's it's funny yeah. to see these like these robot aliens make you know sex jokes or say bad words and stuff and you're like no it's not it's just really dumb. Right. Please stop. <laughs> but they don't understand that. So like, they just keep doing it. You know, like, I mean, I guess robots have personalities that, but it, it's just a disconnect because there's this, there's this dramatic, like, you know, they have this sense of duty and justice mm-hmm. and all this, like, on, like leveled on top of them. And then all of a sudden, like when they break it, it's supposed to be that supposed to be funny. Like when Bumblebee starts speaking with Siri's voice and then swearing. And it's yeah. like, no, that that doesn't work. But I don't think Bumblebee would do that. I don't no. think. I don't. Th- I mean, maybe the Decepticons would. But right. why? Why would the Decepticons be so ingrained in pop culture to this point to even make references like that? It's yeah. just, it's so out there and lame. So, uh, if we had to think about Transformers Six because it is happening, it's supposed to come out in twenty nineteen. Uh, if Michael Bay does not return, is there anybody you can think of be like, I, I could, I would be down to see his version of Transformers yeah, or yeah. hers. Oh, sure. Um, and it's both, well, it's a guy and person I've been named, I've been throwing out there every day and every movie and just seeing if it'll stick and eventually I'll get right. But maybe, maybe if they wanted to focus on story and, uh, you know, let's call up Dan Trachenberg because I know, he, listen, the guy's, the guy's a storyteller. Mm-hmm. He's not a, he's not a studio movie maker. Yep. So that there's no way he'd jump on board. But if he did, I would, I would go ahead and say, I'd buy my fan. I'd buy my tickets on Fandango right away. I, I could, I, I could get on board with that. The other one uh, I thought of, uh, even though I didn't love Kong Skylands, Jordan Vogt Roberts, mm. Uh, he could be at least give something different to the franchise at the very least. Um, I've heard Taika Waititi's name thrown out, though I don't see that as a fit necessarily. Um, I could see, you know, Garrett uh, Edwards. Oh, yeah. uh, he could do something, I think, very interesting with them. Um, I like Dan Trachtenberg as a suggestion. I don't really know anybody else off the top of my head that I can think of, but th- there are candidates out there, that's for sure, that can make this different try to i just need to we just need to change the formula because i think they just keep repeating the same formula over and over it's about explosions it's about making inappropriate jokes with robots uh that's not what these movies should be about it should be about the transformers less human characters um and mark you know walberg says he's done after this movie we'll see if that holds true or not but uh yeah we'll have to wait and see i guess Sounds good to me. I'm any happy other, waiting. <laughs> any other closing thoughts on this movie? Um, Jonathan Sella was the director of cinematography. So shout out to him for at least making that part worthy <laughs> right. of a $150 million film. Yeah. So th- that's all our thoughts on Transformers last night. We'll be back in a second to talk about the news. 
And we're back from our little tiny break to talk about the news. And before we get to the biggest one of the week, there's a couple of small stories I want to get to real quick. Uh, like 20th Century Fox announcing that Game of Thrones star Una Chaplin has joined the upcoming Avatar sequels. She'll reportedly play Varang, who has been described as a strong and vibrant central character who spans the entire saga of the sequels. So, Well then, I am... Avatar interest has suddenly been peaked again. Uh, uh, I've been. Uh, I was hearing good things about the Pandora Disney ride, and then I this came up across, and I was like, you know, I'm kind of feeling Avatar yeah. more and more these days, and this feels like closure because she seemed like a kick butt character in Game of Thrones oh, yeah. before meeting one of the probably one of the top five most brutal ends in that show. Yeah, one of the craziest episodes for sure. Absolutely. So. Uh, this this she she was she was great in Game of Thrones and I'm sure she's gonna uh, do fantastic in Avatar. Yeah, I mean, uh, she is she is stunning, and that's not going to help her here because I'm guessing this will be a CGI role since she's part of the the Navi or whatever. Um, but she's still a great actress, so, and you know, regardless of what you think of the Avatar movies, they have shown the ability to still convey performances through those CGI characters. Whether it's Zoe Saldana, uh, Sigourney Weaver, when she's one of those, or the. Uh, um, the sidekick guy who's like funny and tall and lengthy and whatever. Um, if they can continue to do that and she's a part of it, you know, uh, that gives me a l- again, a little more interest in avatar, uh, two, three and four. Yeah. But, uh, as far as her character, sure. If she's going to be a central part, that sounds even better. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we also got to word this week from bleeding cool that a kid centric, fantastic four reboot is being, uh, reportedly considered by Fox and uh, it would reportedly star Franklin and Valeria Richards, the children of Reed Richards and Susan storm, uh, which they would also appear. Um, and then, you know, like the thing and the human torch would be in there in a limited capacity. So the it's a very uncles. It's a very different approach. The script was reportedly written by Seth Graham Smith, who, you know, was on, uh, the Flash for a little bit before leaving that. He is also part of um, uh, one of those zombie movies. Um, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead. No, like the the Princess uh, Pride and Prejudice of Zombies. Oh, okay. I think I think that was his movie. Um, so, would you be interested in a Fantastic Four movie that's kid centric? Um, a well, when you say kid centric, is it gonna like fall on the PG PG thirteen side. I think it'll that, be. I think it'll be PG or very light PG thirteen. Hmm. It's interesting. I mean, if <laughs> the thing is though, are they doing this because the Fantastic Four has just been a absolute mess, and they w- want to continue the property without having to be somewhat tangentially related to the disaster that was Josh Trank's, or? You know what? What's the point or what's the purpose? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'd rather see it end up at Marvel or something like that, other than, or at least Marvel Studios, yes. than them uh, try to take us down a different route. But it just depends on who's in the end finally attached to it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I'm. I'm not interested in this. Okay. Uh, Give it back to Marvel Studios. Don't do anything with it. I'm guessing they're just doing this because they're like, well, we have to have a script in development every you know four or five, six years, or whatever. So let's let's get this idea going. So that way the rights don't go back to Marvel. So I don't really think this would be the path they'd go down. But again, you you never you never know with Fox. So uh, moving on to the big news of the week, Han Solo Oof. lost. 
two directors and found one yeah. <laughs> uh, because uh, it's a really crazy story. Sum it all up. Phil Lord and Chris Miller exited Han Solo. Ron Howard has since you know stepped aboard. Uh, we're going to go through this basically on a report by, by report, hour by hour, day by day <laughs> breakdown of how this news kind of came out. Give our reactions to each of the little sub stories, and then end it all with our big general thoughts on where, where, what, what do we think about this movie now? Um, so it all started uh, on Tuesday when Lucasfilm announced that the Young Han Solo movie uh, had lost Phil Lord and Chris Miller due to the uh, quote creative differences with you know you know uh, Kathleen Kennedy and Phil Lord and Chris Miller each issuing statements with Phil Lord and Chris Miller saying you know oh. It, we know we know creative differences the big you know the word the safe word that everybody uses when they get fired off stuff uh, or not fired but when people split apart mm-hmm. um, but it is certainly the case here it is absolutely creative differences uh, so right after this news broke you texted me and said I'm sick yeah <laughs> so what was going through your mind when you when you saw this coming across your radar uh, because in my and in that very moment my gut said oh no. Lucasfilm is squashing creativity, and and because I have not been I have not been steered wrong by Phil Lord and Chris Miller mm-hmm. ever. Uh, I mean, so the the episodes of how I, even the, the episodes of How I Met Your Mother that they wrote like were great, mm-hmm. were like the best ones. Um, and then you know Lego Movie Twenty One Twenty Two Jump Street and everything else that they've had their hands in, uh, like they basically created Lego Batman for that yeah. movie. You know. Um, not to take anything away from Chris. Yeah, uh, Chris McKay. Yeah, this, yeah, he did. He did fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you know, like I was, I was, I was troubled like, by the report, and I texted you, and then you came back with, I think, befuddled was the word. Or uh, yeah, I think, I think that's yeah, the word I, I used. Yeah, just because when it happened, I was like, how, how did this, how did this happen? That's the thing that's been going through my mind for the last five days, or however long it's been now, like. How did we get to a point where they have to split when they've already when they've been shooting since you know February and we are you know the date of we were recording and the day they were fired was like June nineteenth or something mm-hmm. or June eighteenth or whatever so that's you know four months of filming and they've been all over the globe doing it they've had a they have a full cast how did all of this happen only to now realize something's not working <laughs> we have to you have to break it off and the thing yeah. that worried me the most instantaneously was you know we've seen directors leave uh due to creative differences or whatever at you know just in our short you know year and a half doing the podcast but you know whether it was, a, was tim miller or whether it was uh rick famuyua leaving the flash you know we've seen or like you know ben affleck stepping off batman we've seen directors leave but it's always in pre-production or de- the development stage. Yeah. This happened <laughs> four months into shooting after mm-hmm. a year of development, uh, something I personally have never really seen happen before. And I, I, that was the, the thing. I just, I, I'm still kind of speechless. I don't know how it happened. Yeah. And the, the thing that came out like pretty much immediately after that was the Hollywood reporter saying that this split comes with three weeks left of principal photography that the new director, uh, Ron Howard, is going to have to come in and finish and then do reshoots later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, again, if you're three weeks away from finishing, how did 
why are you just now coming to this conclusion? Uh, why wasn't this decided two months ago, three months ago, or you know, three weeks into production? That's what I. That's what I don't understand. Yeah, and and then when when this report came out, because I mean, we didn't get Ron Howard right away. Yes, but we got swirlings of okay, there's they're not quite finished yet, but also they have reshoots. Those are being scheduled. Mm, yes, and I actually felt somewhat better. Okay, because then uh, and then it was like okay, well, it looks like they let Phil Lord and Chris Miller do their thing, and anything that didn't work or they weren't happy with was going to come down to reshoots. And it's you know, at the time it seemed like Phil Lord and Chris Miller were like, well, okay, we're not, we don't want to do your reshoots. And then they're like, all right, well then you're done with the project. Yeah. And then threw them out or not threw them out, but they parted ways, mm-hmm. I should say. And that actually made me feel better because it seemed like it wasn't sort of a iron fist type deal. It was a, all right, Hey, it's still our film. Can you do, we want this, we want it to go this mm-hmm. way. And it wasn't an interruption of the process. So, I felt better about that. Actually. Okay. So then after that happened, uh, Variety came out with an article that said the split was basically less amicable than, you know, we previously believed. And instead of them, you know, exiting the project due to creative differences, uh, Chris Lord and Phil were actually, you know, just fired um, <laughs> because of how bad things had gotten. Uh, basically, this came from Lucasfilm not giving the directors what they felt was enough freedom to, you know, do their style. Uh, which led to them going unhappy. Kathleen Kennedy did not like their shooting style uh, that allowed for heavy improvisation, which was the same problems that Lawrence Kasdan had, who wrote the script, who was you know, one of the people that is responsible for making Han Solo the character he is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he grew really unhappy with it, voiced his concerns with Lucasfilm. Uh, and it just became clear that you know Lucasfilm wanted them to make a movie that had a comedic edge to it, but then Phil Lord and Chris Miller wanted to make a comedy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's where things kind of became at to an impasse. Uh, that's what EW was saying with uh, the difference being a comedic touch versus making a comedy. Um, and that Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the way that they shoot their movies, uh, which if you've seen the movie, shouldn't really come as a surprise uh, is they, heavily encourage improv mm-hmm. uh, whether that comes in just line delivery or whatever um, and that was what was basically the big the big problem was that you know he was allowing Aaron Reich or Glover or Thandi Newton Woody Harrelson whoever else is in this movie improv their lines a little bit and somewhere along the way it shifted the story off course according to EW uh which seems a little bit more than just improv. It seems like they're rewriting the script, which Lucasfilm obviously is like, okay, well, <laughs> we want what's on the page, and you guys are doing something completely different. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you when you have a Lawrence Kasdan script, mm-hmm. the man the man the man does tedious work. I mean, everything is as it should be. It's it's methodical. Everything happens for a reason. I mean, you don't just alter scenes or a feeling or a mood, you know, without having to change things elsewhere. Because, you know, you change one scene or one tone or one confrontation and that has could have ripples all throughout the screen and all throughout the script mm-hmm. and everything like that. And yeah, and like, you know, that's, I think, part of their charm is improvisation. I mean, 
that that can make a movie, especially a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, anytime you watch outtakes or bloopers from like an Adam McKay movie, oh, yeah. where he's 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 got like you know improvers from any like you know SNL, Stephen. Uh, Steve Carell and mm-hmm. Will Ferrell. That's yeah, what they like, live for. Like the office outtakes with Steve Carell yeah. are hilarious because he just comes mm-hmm. up with t- 10 different options. Yeah, that, that's, that's gold there. Um, but when you when you improv a Star Wars movie, how does that work? Because mm-hmm. who's been training to improv a scene, you know, in a galaxy far, far right. away? Me. But <laughs> probably not Elden Einreich or, I mean, Donald Glover does improv too. So, you know, mm-hmm. like part of it felt like, oh, maybe this could really work, yeah. especially if it's a buddy cop inner space heist movie mm-hmm. you know and um hope i mean hopefully some of that's still there but you know i i would i, I agree lucasfilm if if it altered the course of the movie cadston mm-hmm. has got to have his way i mean he's the goat at that studio right. I'm, I'm curious though how how much things could really change from improving lines here and there i mean it's not like you know, improving a couple lines here and there could take the movie from, all right, well, we're going to end the movie with, you know, Han Solo getting the Falcon. That's going to be the last thing that happens to, mm-hmm. all right, well, now we're in a fight with Darth Vader. Like, <laughs> things, <laughs> things can only change so much. Yeah. So, the pushing, making the story go off course, I'm not sure how that happens necessarily unless Phil Lorenz is more like, hey, you know, although we really like this one specific line you had, and mm-hmm. we're going to on the set, rewrite the last third of the movie, build new sets, Lucasfilm, cast these new actors for these different roles. We're going to flip everything upside down. Yeah, I mean, I suppose so, but like you, like if you if you change one dynamic between characters, mm-hmm. if they think it's better for Han Solo and Lando to be like hate, like hate each other right. vehemently instead of being friends and that makes for a better movie, mm-hmm. the, the improving and all of that would carry itself throughout the entirety of the mm-hmm. script or if Han Solo's mentor, uh, Woody Harrelson, yeah. you know, is they're supposed to be, they're supposed to have an animus towards each other mm-hmm. instead of being super friendly yeah. and they change it to being super friendly and, and like, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it changes parts of the movie or just may not have it make total sense. Yeah. So then the other, the other final tidbit we got was from star Wars Newsnet, who said that actually this whole thing actually kind of started with Alden Ehrenreich and that he was one of the first people to voice his concerns uh, with how production was going uh, and that the tone began to shift and with some people even telling Star Wars Newsnet that his that while Lucasfilm really likes his performance as Han Solo so far, in some instances, Han Solo was becoming, or his performance of Han Solo was becoming similar to Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura, oh. which is certainly not like Han Solo. <laughs> no. Because, that that almost seems like I mean Jim Carrey is almost being like a parody of uh Indiana Jones at that point, you right. know? And if you want Han Solo to be have justice done to him, you can't have that, can you? Yeah, that that was the one that I was like this is that was that was the piece of news. Where I was like, okay, I could if if Lucasfilm Kathleen Kennedy's looking at the dailies and they're say they're seeing a Han Solo that is closer to you know Ace Ventura as opposed to Han Solo. Mm-hmm. That's that was the piece where I was like, okay, I can definitely see why they would be like, you guys are not making this work. Yeah, because if you're ch- if you are fundamentally changing the lead character, that not only affects this movie, 
it would affect how people view Harrison Ford's portrayal mm-hmm. um, when Absolutely. you know they rewatch four, five, six, and seven. Like, yeah, it th- that is a big thing to change. I think that would be the thing that personally, if I was Lucasfilm, if they alter the story a little bit here and there, I could be okay with it. But if they are you know, changing the way that people are going to view Han Solo mm-hmm. in a negative way because he's just now he's just a stand-up comedian. Uh, <laughs> that's where I would draw the line. That's how he met Chewie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Chewie yeah. was the only one laughing. You have, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. There's the, anytime, like, la- sometimes in laugh tracks for comedy shows, uh-huh. they'll have a Chewbacca. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that kind of laugh going in there, and it's always funny. It never, it always plays me. But you, you can't, Alden Einreich is not Han Solo. Not mm-hmm. yet. Not yet. So he he's doing an impression of Harrison Ford on screen. He's a younger version of that character. Mm-hmm. And if they were leaning him towards doing a impression of a what a younger Han Solo would be like instead mm-hmm. of following like a, a character development right. of something that Lawrence could write beautifully. Mm-hmm. Uh that would that would definitely be something that came up in the dailies that would bother I think Kathleen or Kazin or anybody else. Uh, at the studio. Right. The thing that's interesting, though, about the whole improv angle, then, is if Aaron Reich was the one that had concerns about it, he's the one that would be improving his own lines, right? Mm-hmm. So the improv angle would be more on him if he, because you, you would still, I'm guessing, because the way that this whole thing kind of played out is that uh, they compared parts of it to Gareth uh, Edwards' approach in uh, Rogue One, where Edwards would do hit would do you know the the standard style take on a on on each shot until mm-hmm. they got it right. But then, for like an hour each day on each scene, he would you know experiment with you know different angles or just doing what he felt more natural to be. Yeah, uh, they said that most of the stuff didn't make it in the movie, but he was just experimenting with that to see what they could get after they already got their stuff. So unless. You know, Phil or Chris Miller were like going and they're like, you know, we're reading this line and we don't like it, so we're gonna take 15 takes. Uh, Alden, do what, do whatever comes to your mind. And I'm guessing, I mean, Alden is a he was funny in the Coen Brothers movie, but I, I don't take him to be a comedian where he would come up with like these like really sarcastic jokes yeah, uh, sure. all this time and really change up stuff that was on the script initially mm-hmm. yeah and so and and you know when you have two directors shouting out try this mm-hmm. try that yeah. do it like this i mean his gut react i mean i i don't know him i don't know his right. experience or his talents but you know if at least if i was in that situation i would just fall back on you know my my instincts which mm-hmm. would be to just mimic or impersonate you know uh or do my best to try to make them happy right yeah and if those were the ones where they're like you know check marking saying this is the one we like best out of the dailies or whatnot you Mm know uh (laughs) that would definitely worry me yeah so after all this stuff we're actually in the middle of all these reports coming out uh ron howard was officially brought on to take over uh he'll reportedly watch a some cut of the film based off what they have so far him and lucasfilm kathleen kennedy they will figure out okay what can we still use what do we have to completely reshoot what do we need to completely change uh then he's going to meet with the actors finish the three weeks of production that are going to start back up in a couple weeks then do reshoots later this summer they said it's reportedly going to be five weeks of reshoots i would not be surprised if it's going to be longer than that because that's like i think 
less than Rogue One was repeatedly uh, reported in reshoots for. Needed eight. Yeah. So to do f- five weeks, you know, if you're if you're if you're two thirds into production, you're like, we have major problems. In my mind, you have to reshoot a lot of that movie. So unless they can find ways around that, I think those reshoots will be longer. And then you know, Howard will ultimately finish the film, finish the cut, and have it out for May. 25th i think 2018 because mm-hmm. they're as of right now not going to push it at all so uh are you are you happy with ron howard being the choice to take over now yeah you know like if you would have asked me that after i just seen inferno right <laughs> uh i may have like you know scoffed at that idea uh-huh. but uh, ron howard knows how to make movies mm-hmm and you could argue that the Da Vinci Code, um, Angels and Demons, and Inferno were him making movies for himself. You know, not no studio mission or anything like that. I think you know if he came at it with something like you know a beautiful like or like you know a beautiful mind. I don't know if it was original mm-hmm. originally his or not, but the movie is excellent. And I never once would say, oh, you know, this is Ron Howard. You know, this is Ron Howard's movie. Like it felt like a you know a standard run of the mill mm-hmm. type of a deal, but it was really good. Right, and so with all of Lucasfilm behind him, Ron's gonna do I think a fantastic job. I didn't see in the heart of the sea, and I feel like that would be closer to what it's okay. this movie may be. I think the movie got a bad rap. Uh, I found it you know somewhat enjoyable. It, it's very you know, self-contained. Uh, so maybe if you know it's <laughs> if Han Solo's supposed to be just a lot of adventures within the millennium falcon and character stuff then howard could be a great choice i mean like my favorite film of him of his is rush uh the uh the chris hemsworth yeah the chris hemsworth daniel brule movie uh, i think is excellent um so based on that i i think he the word everybody keeps using he's the safe choice i think that's very much the case he seems like the guy that okay yep he's going to be able to come in and we talked, you know, we talked last week, ironically enough, about should Colin Trevorrow leave yeah. uh, the Star Wars universe, not knowing that we were going to see the directors of Han Solo leave. And I think the thing I kept saying was, I feel like he's just the guy that Lucasfilm's going to be able to say, we need you to do this, 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 and this, in this order, in this way, in this style, in this tone. And he's going to say, I can do that. Yeah. I think that's exactly what you have with Ron Howard. Again, mm-hmm. he's going to say, okay, yep. I'm not going to you know, experiment with anything. I'm going to take Kazan's script, hand it to each of the actors after I talk to him and say, yeah. read these lines, uh, maybe tweak your performance here mm-hmm. and there. Yeah. Uh, he's going to help you know, with the shots and everything. But other than that, he's kind of, I think, just going to be like a sit-in guy next to Kazan. I'm sure Kennedy is going to be very present <laughs> in those reshoots to make sure that they 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 fix this. You know, I'm sure she will be, but almost, I think Ron Howe, like you said, is a safe choice. She could almost go hands-off. And right. Kazden and everybody else is going to send back, you know, positive notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so now that we have all of this, <laughs> this this stuff broken down, uh, where do you where do where do you stand on this? You no, know, are you are you on Lord and Miller's side of saying, okay, well, you know, they were hired to make their vision; they should have been allowed to make their vision. Or are you on Lucasfilm's side and going? Lucas, it's their movie. Uh, they have all the right to say you are not making the movie you said you were going to make. Uh, are you stuck in the middle and saying how? How did both sides not understand what movie they're supposed to make? Uh, and then you know, are you are you more interested in Han Solo? Are you less interested? Are you more confident? More worried? What? Just what are your? Where are you at? Okay. Not worried. 
confident it'll still be better than Rogue One. And I'm on... I'm, I think it's a genuine misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I need to take sides. Okay. Because if Lawrence Kasdan wrote a script with etched with comedy... Oh, and I think John is yeah, John, in there yeah. too. Yeah, if those two wrote a wrote a script, John came along, I maybe added... Maybe out of the joke because mm-hmm. he's got a feel for that. I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. Kids. Whatever. <laughs> uh, and then Phil Lord and Chris Miller pick it up. And they're like, okay, well, they, they wrote this script. They chose us. Mm-hmm. So maybe we're supposed to innovate on it. And they got to the studio and they're the and they started filming. And all of a sudden, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, and I'm going to preface this. Do not do drugs. But Phil Lord and Chris Miller strike me as people like who are on mushrooms all the time. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I love their movies. I mean, drugs are in two of them, three yes. of them. Uh, you know, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is pretty psychedelic. It is. It is that is those are weird movies, man. Um, so yeah, I, I think it was just an honest, like, creative difference. And, like, I know that's parroting the, uh-huh. the Lucasfilm line, but if they wanted to go that direction at the end of the day, Kathleen said, okay, we at the studio don't like it. And they're like, okay, well we don't want to do anything else. So see ya. Yeah. I, I, I think it'll be okay. okay. I mean, these are, this is the studio. Um, Kathleen is the producer. And so I'm, I have a hundred percent confidence that the movie will be fine. Mm-hmm. But I, you, you have the eyebrows of a, Oh dear, you are sheep, Josh. I so naive. I just don't know because I think once again, you know, when we discussed the Rogue One reshoots and all those issues, we were on very different fences, sides of the fence. Okay, you were very much in. I feel good. I'm confident. Nothing's gonna be wrong with it. And I was more like, I'm. I'm worried. I'm worried about Rogue One. I think I'm in the same boat here. I'm worried about Han Solo. Um, you know, we've we've talked about this before because we saw Transformers together the night that this news broke and um it just i i don't know if they know what they want these standalone anthology movies to be necessarily Mm -hmm. um because i think if you if you hire gareth edwards i don't think he's going to make a movie that is drastically different than the script and then you know he made a movie and somewhere along the way some things got screwed up to what degree to what happened we have we'll never know but they reshot the movie and the third act is by far the best part of that movie no question about it uh, and that's what they reshot the majority of so mm-hmm. uh in that instance it worked in this instance it doesn't seem like where rogue one was okay we have we have to fix the ending this issue is like we have to fix the tone which to me is a comp- is a way bigger deal uh especially since they the Lord Chris Moore are like, no, we're not, we're not going to change up our style for you. Like, yeah, I think it's Lucasfilms, you know, it is their, they have to know who they are hiring. And if you look at Phil Lord and Chris Miller's movies, they are comedy guys. They are geniuses. They are hilarious. Yeah. Uh, how in a year plus of development and going through the script and everything and meeting with them, did you guys not understand that this is going to be a funny movie? Uh, maybe they went overboard. That's totally possible. Uh, I can uh, I can absolutely see why Lucasfilm would say, you guys have to tone down the comedy, reshoot all this stuff, 
uh, because we need it to be this fine line between you no know, a Star Wars movie and a comedy movie. Mm-hmm. But the other issue I have is that you know one of the reports, I don't remember which one, was said that Kathleen Kennedy thought that this movie wasn't Star Warsy enough, and I think they said the same thing about Rogue One, and. That's another issue I have because we've talked about how long can Star Wars continue because, you know, they have, you know, this is a very expansive universe. I don't think the episodic movies are ever going to change drastically in their tone or anything. They're going to stay pretty much the same. And we've made the Marvel comparisons, DC comparisons, whatever the comparisons, every other franchise. And for a franchise like Star Wars to continue at a volume of making one or maybe even two films eventually a year. You have to change things up and you have to try different things, experiment with things. Maybe that's Han Solo is not the character to do it with. Yeah. But, you know, we were promised, you know, this, this, this war movie basically with Rogue One. I think we got it to a certain degree. Uh, This one for Han Solo, in my mind, when you hire Phil Lord and Chris Miller and you get Donald Glover and Alden Ehrenreich, you're saying, all right, this is going to be like a buddy cop movie kind of. And I was pretty sold on that idea because Mm -hmm. uh, that sounds like a fun adventure, but it also sounds funny. And with it being in Star Wars, how can can you lose? And for them to say, it's too funny. It's not Star Wars enough. We need, you need you to tone it back, do whatever. We need to add more Star Wars elements to it. I think that's just where we need, where we have so, it's going to, dilute the specialness of star wars if every star wars movie is a, is exactly like a star wars movie i want to see star wars movies that are crime movies are adventure movies are action movies are mysteries or heist movies or whatever you know subgenre of film it wants to be i don't want to see every movie just be this is star wars and yeah. here's here's maybe insert character a here character b character c follow this this arc structure and we'll have a result that everybody's gonna come out liking but it's never going to be, you know, this really different movie mm-hmm. that people are going to like applaud because yeah. it is just so different. It's unlike any Star Wars movie we've ever seen. And that's where I think I have been frustrated with the way that this has kind of appeared to be. Yeah. I, that was a very long answer. No, no, that's a good answer. And I think, I think that's a good note to leave it on because I agree with everything you said there. Uh, that you could the only criticism maybe to have though is just that maybe before you write your movie bring your directors in and help mm-hmm. them write too because i think maybe that it sounded like gareth edwards didn't know that he was supposed to you know <laughs> take everybody out at the end of the movie because right. that was something he's i think he told empire i think so uh so you know i we will see and we'll see if anything else comes out later uh in the future but uh, for now i i Faith in the movie and Lucasfilm is fine. Questions about the process right. are, I, remain. After all that, I still think it's going to be a. It's it'll end up being a good movie because yeah. I don't think Lucasfilm they won't stop until they know that it's going to be a good movie and well received. Mm-hmm. I don't think as of right now, I don't believe I'll like it more than Rogue One uh, or any of the original trilogies or movies or Star Wars Seven. Um, I think it'll be a middle of the pack Star Wars movie. Um, but just to kind of wrap it all up, because, you know, when the reshoot stuff was coming off Rogue One, it was like, all right, they're going to reshoot 40, 50% of the movie. With Ron Howard coming in, the possible change of an entire tone of the film, maybe plot points needing to be completely changed from where they were. How much of this film do you think will ultimately be reshot? 
just to put a percentage on it. Hmm. You, well, depending the length, I don't think this movie will cross the two hour mark in terms of length. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, I think there's, I think 35% of the movie will change, Okay. but it'll be an easy 35% because if they were at telling them to improv, mm-hmm. that's there, those are going to be close ups. Those are going to be, you know, scenes with actors, actors and actors together. So um, I think that's the reason it won't take so long yeah. is because it's mainly interpersonal relationships, all of that. Um, Lord and Miller, there's no way and there's no way they were going to be allowed to switch up or change any massive set pieces. So anything like that's automatically off Mm -hmm. the table. So I totally think, um, it's just all about cockpits conversation and, you know, moods from the actors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm in the same mindset of you of it's going to be all the conversational stuff that's going to change. But, I think that could be up to like, you know, 60% of the movie. You know, if, if all of their big set pieces, all of the exterior shots, all that stuff is done, but you know, along the, you know, three weeks into shooting the, the relationship between Han Solo and Lando has had completely changed. Then you have to reshoot all their conversation stuff. Uh, it could totally change the dynamics of different things. So I, th- I think it could be a substantial amount that's reshot. Um, but I'm also very interested to see once it is all said and done, whether or not, you know, you know, will the movie be directed by Phil Lord, Chris Miller, and Ron Howard, just Ron Howard, or Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, I'm interested to see how that will play out. I know there's a lot of, you know, DGA stuff that goes into figuring that out, but uh, I'll be very interested to see that. Yeah, I, th- I think DGA is going to make them put it, Phil Lord and Chris Miller on it. Will they be at the uh, premiere? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. And but, you know, if they are, cool. Just to wrap it up again, <laughs> I've said it like four times. Uh, D23 is in three weeks. Uh, will we have anything about Han Solo there? You know, I think... Or will everything just be Last Jedi, uh, it's, it's maybe Last Jedi. Yeah. Obi-Wan announcement or something just to reinvigorate spirits or something? Yeah, well, I mean, people... Uh, I mean, rumor, I think word is that... Uh, Johnson's got a great cut of mm-hmm. uh, oh, Last, Last Jedi. Jedi yeah. there, I mean, and that's the movie this year. This Han Solo thing is peanuts right now. But there's no D23 ahead of... There's no other big conventions before Han Solo because it comes out in May. Yeah, and well, we could see something at Comic-Con maybe. That's a week after. Yeah, man, that's a good question. <laughs> maybe the Star Wars press tour. I, I think because even though they have these tonal changes, unless on set they gave Aaron Reich a... A, 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 just a mohawk or something all mm-hmm. of a sudden I think that's we'll at least get a cast photo in uniform oh yeah I think we'll get that uh, but other than that they're not going to talk about Phil or Chris Miller Ron Howard any of that right. stuff you know and I think about Phoebe Waller-Bridge who's also in that movie mm-hmm. and she's hilarious in the crashing and Fleabag yeah uh, so <laughs> she, I can't I can't imagine them working well with her and having a robot do uh, can you I mean just the possibilities there sorry <laughs> yeah. okay I'm ready so, so what's yes. next let's move on from Phil Lord and Chris Miller to talk about Phil Lord and Chris Miller oh no because uh, in all of this the rap reported that during before production happened or during a hiatus of production or a couple 
days ago. They don't really know when it happened. All they know is that at some point recently, like as in this year, basically, the duo met with Warner Brothers, possibly to discuss whether or not they could rejoin The Flash, which they uh, first wrote this draft for, then left. They were going to direct the movie. They left to do Han Solo. Now that they're potentially meeting with Warner Brothers again, would you want to see him back? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, why not? I, I, I like these guys a lot. Yes. And can't you imagine them and Ezra Miller together? Yes. Yeah. I, can. I, I think of the scene of uh, Ben Affleck and him, and just thinking like, what, like that back and mm-hmm. forth. Imagine Ezra Miller having that back and forth with anybody. Yes. I think it'd be perfect. Yeah, I think that. I mean, obviously they were. You know, very important in getting this movie started. It has since puttered out since then. Nothing's really happened with it. But uh, you know, this thing has gone through two other directors after them. Mm-hmm. They're reportedly courting Zemeckis or Matthew Vaughn. Uh, the script has gone a done a like I think a page one rewrite after yeah. Family Ewa left. So whatever this script is at right now is in no way what it was when Phil Lord and Chris Miller left. So. If the DCEU vision has completely shifted away from what their idea was, I could see this not working. And I've kind of come around to the idea of Robert Zemeckis. I think he would do a really good job on this movie, same with Matthew Vaughn. But, you know, if they announce tomorrow that Phil and Chris Miller are doing the project and it's coming out in 2019, I mean, two thumbs up for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Wonder Woman has, like, probably, you know, been the, the thing in the sand that's caused so many changes and rethinkings like mm-hmm. you know over at the studio and if suddenly these these two guys look attractive to them heck yeah I'm, yeah I'm loving it yeah so moving on to some spider-man stuff before we get to our big question of the week uh we got uh thr the Howard reporter did this big breakdown on you know stant the, the current you know state of the spider-man universe over at sony and their plans for the character and all of his other sub characters everything and uh, in that article, they confirmed that plans are in place for Marvel, a different Marvel hero than Iron Man, to appear in the second Spider-Man movie. So, since it's not going to be Iron Man, we haven't seen Homecoming yet. Uh, do you have any thoughts on you know, who you'd want to see paired up with Spidey this time around? Oh, yeah, it's Captain America, and that's that's where you have to go with it. I think unless he's dead. Uh, well, I, I mean, Iron Man's not going to be in the next one because he is dead. Ooh, so I mean, interesting. That's how that's how Infinity War ends. Infinity War or the fourth one? Infinity War. That's the dramatic change. I think Tony I, Stark I, I gets definitely, snapped I definitely in half. think in for, if, totally off top, I definitely think Infinity War ends with somebody just dying. That's the oh, last thing yeah. we see. Dramatic. And then Ant Man and the Wasp happens, and Captain Marvel happens, and then mm. we come back for part two of Untitled Avengers, whatever it's going to be called, and yeah. see what happens after that. But yeah, uh, you know, can you imagine? Chris Evans and Tom Holland's together on screen. Like they, they were they, great in Civil War they just had, for like they, a second. Yeah, the, the rapport back and forth was perfect. They set it up. And, you know, his friend Chris from Brooklyn, you know, is going to show up. And right. Be, well, Steve from Brooklyn, yes. sorry, <laughs> is going to show up, you know, and uh, I think that'll be a sweet, sweet way to go. Yeah. See, the thing is, they'd have to figure out a way for Peter Parker to hang out with these superheroes unless it is just a team-up movie, basically, where... <laughs> Spider-Man is working with Cap. That could make sense. Um, I love the idea of Natasha Romanoff pulling up to Spider-Man school <laughs> and being like, hey, Peter Parker, mm-hmm. come here. And everybody's being like, 
what? Right. In the Why Corvette. is this super yeah. attractive superhero like picking up Peter? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would make him so popular. I've always loved the idea of her and Spidey being, you know, working together. Um, you know, since it's New York, Doctor Strange could be an option. I'm not sure. I don't know if I want a mystical Spider-Man movie or any yeah. of those aspects. Oh, that's right. He's there um, too. Of course. Yeah. Hulk will be back. Thor. Uh, I could see Hawkeye just because I feel like that's like the mo- that's like the easiest one to incorporate oh, and not yeah. be like weird about it. Uh, Falcon. I mean, I, I don't really care who's in it. Mm-hmm. I just think it's going to oh, be great that another one's going to be in here. Paul Rudd too would be perfect. Oh yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool. Yeah. So uh, sticking with this Hod- this uh, report from the Hollywood Reporter, they also confirmed that the villain of the Venom movie will be uh, Carnage. <sighs> I thought you wanted this. Well. Seems too soon, too fast, right? I mean... Uh, who else would be the villain in Venom? I, yeah, I just... I've always... In my head, there's always been a progression, yeah. you know? Um, the build to it. I, I I, think Venom... Or not Venom, but Carnage and Venom are the two greatest enemies Peter Parker will ever face. And yeah. Venom and Carnage going head-to-head to each other, it makes complete sense, mm-hmm. story-wise. I think their narratives are two different. One with... No form, um, no human involved. One with, you know, uh, a host. Well, I think they'll both have hosts. Okay, fair enough. Because, I mean, they, they, at least they've said that Tom Hardy's going to be Eddie Brock. So yeah. it's not just going to be like the Venom symbiote itself. Right. Around. But Carn- I think Carnage is sometimes just Carnage and not yeah. actually, you know, latched on to anybody. I think the way they'll do it is they'll do like the approach where it's uh, the Venom symbiote of Carnage is attached to Cletus Cassidy, okay. who's like this like serial killer crazy guy. Uh which I think then again, like the way you're talking about like the parallels to their story, if it's Eddie Brock and this like run and down kind of angry reporter, jealous guy, mm-hmm. makes sense why Venom would cling to him. But then if the other end of that spectrum is a serial killer and seeing what a serial killer with Venom's powers would do, Ooh. seeing Eddie Brock being like, okay, I may hate Spider Man a little bit, but <laughs> Yeah, I need to stop this guy. I, and if they if they pick up my boy Lynn, Lynn Manuel Miranda. Oh man, he could totally pull that off. That would be really his, cool. His laugh. I mean, you've heard him laugh before no. at all. Okay, it's it's like high pitched and it's, it, it borders on maniacal. Mm-hmm. Just you okay, know, it could work any day. He he could have it down. I hope I hope I hope they go with him. Yes. Uh, the other thing we got from that report was uh, news on other potential standalones from this universe. Uh, that being that Sony has. Apparently, has plans to do Mysterio and Craven the Hunter standalone movies, mm. or at the very least, they have plans to incorporate them into this universe. Well, I'm not craving that, but I hope. Well, I <laughs> Good mean, one. Well, Mysterio, <laughs> I, I've been dying to figure out a way to work that joke in, but that was the best <laughs> I could do. I'm not. I, me and comedy don't work well yet. That was good. Uh, Mysterio, yes. I mean, he's he's one of the most eccentric uh, Spider-Man villains out there. So I totally hope they find a way to get him in there. A standalone, though. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't, I make don't him get, the villain of the second one. Yeah, I don't. I would love to see each either of them be the villain of the next Spider-Man movie, but having them have their own standalones. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, what what is the story? Yeah, is Craven hunting something like? Right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and then like the other thing, the other thing I have a problem with with this whole approach of okay, let's give all these baddies standalone movies. Is so are you going to make them sympathetic? So that way we root for them in their standalones. But then if this is, does ultimately all connect together to the Tom Holland Spider-Man, when they fight him, 
you still have to make him them villain villainous enough for us to root against him, root for Spidey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it just feels way too weird. And like, listen, sympathetic villains, they have their place, I suppose, mm-hmm. but not in comic book movies. Sometimes I mean, like, you just need a bad guy. Yeah, some, sometimes you just need a bad guy. But unless, you know, you want to go for broke, like, uh, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man Three. Yeah, find a way to get a make a sympathetic villain. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, Mysterio is not in Craven. No, those no. are not the guys to pick. So we're gonna move on to our big question. Second time doing this segment. Hopefully, you guys liked it, uh, last week as well. And since we're already running uh, pretty heavy on time, this may be a shorter one than we did last week. But uh, big question this week is: Should Sony's Spider Verse be in the MCU? Because uh, you know. The day before we posted the last episode of the podcast, Amy Pascal said in an interview that the uh, Venom movie and Silver and Black are, uh, her word, adjuncts to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which led to Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige, mm-hmm. Kevin Feige <laughs> being turned into a meme online <laughs> because yeah. he was just like, uh, what? What did you just say? Uh and he has since come out and told Joe Blow that as of right now, only Spidey is part of the MCU and Sony is handling the other movies all by themselves. They're not part. Um, but he did his right now kind of leaves the door open for, you know, you know maybe we'll reconsider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, or and maybe we're currently discussing. So yeah. with this information, these developments, you know, do you want to see this universe be in the MCU? Yes, I do. But I, at the same time, when the way Amy Pascal said that doesn't have to be in the MCU for it to be in Spider-Man movies. But Spider-Man's in the MCU. Exactly. Which is which is weird and interesting because it, it, it seemed to me like when Kevin get, make, did his reaction, uh-huh. he wasn't sure what she was meaning. Yeah. And Amy Pascal, Sony, Sony's you know producer on... This she's and, a producer on it, yep. And seems like she has her fingers and everything else too in directing, you know, where where these movies are going to mm-hmm. go. And you you don't want to say in an interview that oh no, these are totally different movies. I mean, they're they're Marvel movies, but they have nothing to do with Spider-Man. This this home Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. You can't say that. So when you say adjacent to, mm-hmm. you know, or somewhat connected, possibly connected, partially connected, um people people are gonna be like oh well, do i need to see that movie mm-hmm. because she said like yeah. right after those comments kevin has created the machine or the team at marvel have created this machine of you need to see this chapter even though it may not be important you feel like you have to see it you're, right. you're almost compelled in a way to get to it and that's why you know their returns for movies have just been going up and mm-hmm. up and up i don't think they've had a setback um maybe maybe ant-man but that's it but so that seems to be the case and you know uh i would love to see them write venom into a spider-man movie though right because that's my i'm dying to see that done well yes dying to see carnage done well uh so hopefully whatever whatever game is being played here Mm -hmm. is uh in favor of sony uh, to sort of you know, because I because I want them to get their way and get Marvel to say, 
okay, we'll let you, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll start profit sharing on these characters too, or mm. we'll help you with those. Cause it, doesn't it feel like a game, like an end around, yes, like a, does. like a 3d chess. I'm going to box you in here. Yep. So that's exactly what it felt. It felt like Pascal was like, Oh, I'm on camera. Mm-hmm. Feige can't say like, He's not going to shut me up. So yeah. He's going to say, yeah, they're part of the MCU, basically. And he's going to say, he's going to be like, what? Yeah, I mean, what he's, did you he's, say? Not, he's not a tool. He's not going to be like, uh, she's lying or she's saying, yeah. you know, she chose her I words mean, carefully. He, he could have, you know, I think he still could have made a very similar comment to what he made you know, recently to Joe Blow and been like, yeah. just to clarify real quick, you know, they are not currently part of the MCU, but potentially they could leave the door open to one day be folded in or, you know, things could work out a different way and they could eventually all be part of the same universe, which I hope is the approach Sony does mm-hmm. because even if there is no deal currently in place for Tom Hardy's Venom movie to be part of the MCU, as long as you make, if you make a really self-contained movie, if you make a Sicario style Venom movie or something yeah. that is just super self-contained, it's about Venom and Venom only hunting down a couple of baddies or something. Uh, which I guess would be carnage. So, uh, but as long as you don't have it end with like massive explosions and massive destruction and aliens coming down or something, you can still have that exist in the MCU and not be like, how come the Avengers aren't here? Yeah. Because if it's like the final battle is 10 minutes long and it's in the middle of the swamp, like then nobody would know. Right. So I think as long as they operate under a very tricky umbrella that, all right, we're going to, we can't say Spider-Man. We can't int- we can't include Tom Holland in this, but we also can't, you know, we don't want to step on the toes of Marvel Studios where they can say, okay, why did you do that? We didn't give you, you know, clearance basically to do this and include Avengers Tower in there and stuff. Right. Uh, this deal is over because even if Spider-Man Homecoming is a big hit, if, you know, the hardcore fans hear, oh, Marvel pulled the deal they're not going to be happy yeah. uh, <laughs> and yeah. the interest in the sequels would not be, would not be very high. So uh, I think it's a very interesting uh, way that she played it. And before Feige said this, I actually had, you know, the other side of the coin where it was, Oh, well, you know, she's just trying to, you know, push Feige into a corner where he has to fold and say, okay, yes, they are in the MCU, I guess, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thought I had was uh, what if, his reaction was because she spoiled something. Yes, that was what I had here. It's one of my four. <laughs> because yeah, you know, homecoming comes out in a couple of weeks, and you know those interviews were happening like with you know screenings and everything. So, what if she's like, oh, you know, I'm talking to somebody who's seen the movie. They've seen the post credit scene where the symbiote arrives. Yeah, and he's just like, no, this is gonna get out, mm-hmm. and you just you just ruined like a third act surprise or a post credit scene, or uh, maybe they have plans for Infinity War, which comes out the same year as Venom for infinity war to end instead of with you know iron man dying it ends with them all coming back to earth maybe iron man's still dead or whatever but yeah uh they come back to earth and attached to spider-man was the symbiote and he 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 got off the host and then he, he gets off and the post-credit scene is that symbiote finding tom hardy yeah like that would that would that would destroy audiences yeah like, that would blow the minds of fans and that's that was the other thing i thought was man if I wonder if she did just spoil it and that was his reaction. But based on his quotes, at least he is either trying to say, just play the game where, oh, no, that, that'll 
that's not going to happen mm-hmm. to keep the surprise intact or he's being truthful and saying, no, they're not. It was incredibly well measured. And I mean, his, his reaction was a reaction. Yes. It wasn't like a, oh, she's just saying what she's saying. Like I, she's talking up her business. She's talking up her movie. She's Pascal said something deliberately and he went, oh, okay. That's happening. Yeah. He like, he looked at her there and concerned, thought about it and then awkwardly smiled at the interview. Like, yeah. And he's like, uh-huh. all right, well, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah. And, okay. you know, that, like you said, there is, what, four months of daylight, five months of daylight between Infinity War and Venom. Yeah, it's so, Infinity War in May, Venom in October. Yeah, so a- absolutely there could be something, you know, yeah. going on And I on mean, there. like, Infinity War uh, is going to wrap filming in a couple of weeks, then uh, filming on the fourth Avengers movie will start, and it will be happening at the same time Venom is filming, so... Mm-hmm be very easy to just have like a pickup shot of hey tom hardy you already filmed in atlanta or something just hop on over to pinewood real quick we're gonna shoot this little quick scene to tag on to the end of uh, infinity mm-hmm. war like, yeah the total especially if it's just like you know someone peeling off the symbiote for spider-man like mm-hmm. dude what'd you get on you type of a deal yeah like that just 10 seconds of footage anywhere would set up a venom movie oh yeah and every fan would love it I would love it. Venom would make sense of the film happening. Yeah. And yeah. And it would, it would speak to the, the depth of collaboration going on. Yes. Between Sony and Marvel studios. And that's the thing that just going back to our, our main question of should these movies exist in the same universe is I want them to, because if you once when this movie was first announced or when Tom Hardy was first announced, I was like, I'm excited. I'd be more excited as the MCU. But I don't want Sony to be like, yeah, that's in the MCU. But then Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios say, no, they're not. Yeah. Like, I want it to be a clear partnership like it is with Homecoming and not some like Marvel has their hand behind their back saying, well, we can't say no now because we already have Spider-Man. Like, I need it as long as they are still working together and it is a partnership that both sides want this deal to happen, want these movies to exist in the same universe then I want them to be all together. Mm-hmm. But if Marvel is like, okay, we don't want Venom in the MCU yet. We wanted that to be Spider-Man's fourth movie or something. Uh, so we're not going to do that. I, I'd be okay with Sony making their own standalone Venom movie. That's a one-off. And then in you know, six years or whatever, we see a different Venom. Like yeah. I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to get Venom now, if it, if he is in the MCU, just make it official that he is definitively part of the MCU and not like the fans wondering, is he or isn't he? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I hope they shut up about it. I hope I don't hear anything about this again uh, until I will. I mean, we co- we, we do, we cover this, yes. you know? Uh, so come infinity war I, or, or come the end of homecoming, anything like that. I hope that's what's up. Um, and they make it clear. But like you said, it, it, it needs to be one or the other completely separate. Mm-hmm. No, maybe, maybe put Avengers tower in the background right. or something like that. If, if, you it, know? if it's a consensual deal, then yeah. Yes. But if it's like Sony saying, we're going to sneak this in here and mm-hmm. they're not going to know about it. Yeah. Then I don't want it. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, do, do your Easter eggs, yes. but make them just that mm-hmm. and make it completely separate or go all out. Don't, 
don't mess around with wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, hey, go, go see what our projects are. Right. Just, just go full collaboration. I mean, write the contracts and, you know, make, make the superhero movies that people have wanted, wanted since the nineties or whenever the Avengers first assembled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, if the reactions, the early reactions to homecoming are an indication, people are going to love Spider-Man homecoming. And if it makes a billion dollars worldwide before Venom starts, then I think Kevin Feige will head over to Sony studios real quick and say, just let me read your script. Let me see how it works. And then if he's like, okay, well, if you change this, 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 and this, it can, it could exist in MCU. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, cool. Yeah. And we'll be golden. Absolutely. So, uh, any other thoughts on our big question of the week? Well, uh, I, no, I think I'm, I think I'm all set. But we're both in agreement that yes, these movies should be in the same universe as long as it is a partnership that both sides want. Yes. I, 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 and I hope, my hope is that when they say yes, if they say yes, this will just lead to a blurring of the lines between Sony and Marvel Studios and no one can tell whose property is whose until right. the big ugly divorce in 2026. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the news. That was our review. That was our big question. What do we got next week, Josh? Well, next week we have Baby Driver. Yes, Edgar Wright's uh, summer movie of the summer. It sounds yes. like the Guardians of the Galaxy only on the streets. That's an interesting comparison. I don't know. They, it looks like it has a fantastic soundtrack yes. to it. And I've, I've, part of me has been Googling what's in it. And then I have to stop myself yeah. because you, I know, just, you see it in like the, the trailer that played in front of, uh, was it in front of transformers? Mm-hmm. Where it's like songs by do, 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 yes. the whole thing. So. Yeah. It just, it looks so good. I mean, I, I'm re- I'm ready to, after Transformers, I'm ready to, well, theoretically slow down, right. you know, <laughs> and watch a movie that has Kevin Spacey, every great uh, BA actor in the industry right now, mm-hmm. uh, do bank robberies, and then watch Hansel. Uh, Elgort. Elgort, you know, drive around and have uh, a really cute relationship with, um, uh, it's Lily James. Lily right? James. Yeah. Lily Col- no, it's Lily James. Yeah. Lily James. And because th- their chemistry looks excellent. Looks great. Yep. Uh, it is the movie that uh, I think outside maybe Wolf of Planet of the Apes, I am most excited for currently um, because I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan. And just the trailers from this from day one have been awesome. The soundtrack should be great. Uh, as long as it's like basically nonstop action, if he can pull off those really cool star- car stunts. Uh, El Gore, it looks like he's like a parkour master in some of these trailers. <laughs> uh, it just looks like a super fun time. There's been like, I think it still is 100% Rotten Tomatoes, which means at the very least I'm going to like it, uh, hopefully. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just a movie I'm just dying to see at this point. And uh Again, it's another one like Transformers comes out a day early, so or two days early, so you guys can see, we can see it on Tuesday night for the previews. So I will definitely be there opening night for this one. Absolutely, same here. And I'm really just just to sidetrack from uh, this movie. It just kicks off a really good you know, five oh. six weeks at the cinemas with we have Baby Driver, then uh, Spider Man Homecoming, then War for Planet of the Apes, then Dunkirk, yes, sir. and then Atomic Blonde slash dark tower even though i think dark tower may be pushed i can't remember if it's that same week but either way baby driver homecoming 
Apes, Dunkirk, Atomic Blonde, that will hopefully really boost up what has so far been a rough couple of months outside of uh, you know Guardians and Wonder Woman, basically. Right, absolutely. I mean, not that we had expectations for Mummy or Transformers, but... Uh, right, well. but you know, like, I was disappointed by Alien Covenant, King Arthur wasn't good, and like, you know, Pirates 5, like... I'm just ready for some some really good movies. Definitely. Uh, so hopefully we'll be loving Baby Driver next week. If you enjoyed this episode and loved it as much as we're going to uh, love Baby Driver, head over to iTunes, give us a five-star view with comments, plus uh, just share the episode all over social media. Uh, you can subscribe to us, share it, retweet, whatever you want to do, just do it. Uh, especially the review part, because if you guys review us on iTunes, you will be entered to win a summer poster giveaway that we'll announce the winner to at the end of the summer. Uh, so get some cool posters. Plus, it just helps other people find our show, which is always appreciated. Because uh, if you like listening to us, why wouldn't other people, right? So just give us a review. It's not that, not that hard. Uh, so that's really all we got. During our time wave, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered by tweeting us at Friends and Film. We receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can argue with me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Yeah, so thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Josh? Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to tune in next week for a review of Baby Driver.